There once was conference held online that helped me reach some goals of mine. The crack was great, the speakers best, oh, fundraising everywhere go. Ha! Soon may we learn from home with pets and tea and people we know. One day to better yourself we'll learn so much and grow. They've been around for many years, we've learned and laughed and shed some tears. A community I'm proud to know, oh, fundraising everywhere go. Ha! Soon may we learn from home with pets and tea and people we know. One day to better yourself we'll learn so much and grow. Ha! Soon may we learn from home with pets and tea and people we know. One day to better yourself we'll learn so much and grow. Welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast, where we give you a glimpse into one of our amazing webinars or conferences. You can check out one of our full sessions and get a 50% discount by using the code FEPODCAST at fundraisingeverywhere.com. Yep, just head to the Fundraising Everywhere website and use the code FEPODCAST at the checkout to get 50% off any of our sessions. Hello, my name is Alice Ferris, and I'm the founding partner of Goalbusters Consulting, and I'm really pleased to talk with you today about small teams, because this is one of my areas where I've been really excited about working in small organizations and small teams for pretty much my entire career. I started fundraising in, oh dear, 1990. <laughs> and while I didn't work for a small shop when I first started, I did have some of the autonomy of essentially being a one-person shop based on the project and the initiative that I was doing fundraising for. And as I went through my fundraising career, my first job was in Madison, Wisconsin in the U.S. at Wisconsin Public Television, where I was one person managing a pretty autonomous project, like I just mentioned, uh, one person of a 17-member team. My next job was as Director of Development for Lowell Observatory, where I went from being a one person in a 17-member team to a department of one and a half. To say that I was a little shell-shocked would be uh, an understatement, but what I determined was that I really liked working in those smaller organizations and on those smaller teams. So what I'd like to bring to you today are some tips for fundraising success for small and mighty shops. And part of what I want you to think about as you're going through this discussion that we're going to have about different things that you might want to try is that please don't try to do them all. I'm going to start right there. Please don't do all of these things that I'm going to suggest. If you come out of this at the end of this 20-ish minutes with one thing that you would like to do moving forward to help make your life easier as a small and mighty team, please do that one thing. Because if you try to do a whole bunch of things at once, I think you're going to end up being frustrated with a lot of different things. So that's my caveat before we get into this is that I would really like you to pick maybe one thing that you can take away and implement in your team. Now, I do hope that we will have some very practical advice for you today to think about. Um, but one of the things that I also am realistic with, with all of these different tips that I'm going to give you is the fundamental statement that not only applies to small shops, but also applies to pretty much anyone, I think, 
There's this great meme that I saw once online that says, I have enough time, said no one ever. You probably don't have enough time and you are probably feeling a little bit frustrated with the amount of things that you need to do in a short amount of time. So the things that I hope will help you as I go through my topics today are three things, three areas that I would like to talk about. The first is how do you plan as a small and mighty team? How do you create a plan that's going to be realistic, that's going to help keep you on track? The second area that I want to talk about is how do you prioritize all those things that you need to do and how do you create routines that are going to help you with that prioritization? And then the third area that I want to talk about is what are the low-hanging fruit things that you can add to your schedule, that you can add to your tactics that will help you be more effective as a small and mighty team? And what are those things that you probably should avoid? So it's, in many respects, the low-hanging fruit and the hard-to-get fruit. So how can you prioritize your time to look at the low-hanging fruit and get to the harder stuff when you can. So those are the three areas that I'm gonna group my tips for you today. So let's start out with the planning piece. How do you actually create a practical plan that's going to work for your shop? Because if you've ever been to a session, a conference session or some other educational program and they have said something where you thought, oh yeah, that so is not gonna work in my shop don't do it. I mean, that's realistic. It probably won't. If you have that gut feeling that that might not work in your shop, that might actually be true. I think one of my favorite moments at a conference that I went to once was listening to the presenter at the front of the room say, well, what you need to do is you need to talk to your digital team and they will work on, and I'm like, hello, digital team, you're looking at the digital team. Or someone else said, well, you need to talk to your graphic designer. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, right. I am the graphic designer. So if you are that type of person who's wearing a whole bunch of different hats, what we want to think about is how can you create a plan that actually is going to work for the fact that you and maybe a small number of other people are going to have to make this a reality. So anytime I'm thinking about planning, the first thing that I think about is the analogy of a journey. When I'm creating a fundraising plan, I'm thinking about mapping a route from a starting point to an ending point. And if you think about pulling out your phone or actually pulling out a physical map and starting to map a journey, what's the first thing that you need to do? Well, the first thing you need to do on a physical map is to find out where you are on the physical map. And on your smart device or on some kind of app, you need your phone to figure out where you are. Because if your phone's spinning and can't figure out where you're starting, you certainly can't navigate to a destination. So thinking about the first stage in this process of planning, it's the first thing you need to do is figure out where are you now. So then the second step in this is figuring out where you wanna go. So if you put in, okay, I'm on this app, the app knows where I am, but you don't put in a destination, it still is not going to navigate for you. So what you need to do is figure out where's the destination. And for you, a realistic destination is going to look a lot different than a realistic destination for a large organization. So think about what's a realistic destination for you. And then, and only then, if you figured out the starting point and the ending point, can you start to navigate? Can you figure out which routes are going to work for you? But think about it. If 
you put into a destination and you don't indicate that you're walking and it thinks you're driving, the directions are going to be different. I had this happen recently when I was uh, traveling, unusually, (laughs) to another city. And I put in the restaurant destination that I was going to. And it was it wasn't a restaurant that I was had a reservation at or anything. I was just mapping out to see if that was something that I could go to for my dinner that night. And it thought I was driving. The app thought I was driving. And realistically, I was walking. And so when it said, oh, it's only three minutes, I'm like, great. And then I realized, oh, wait, those are driving directions. I have to switch it to walking directions. And then it was going to be a half hour. I was like, no, no, I guess I'll pick another restaurant. So you need to know what vehicle essentially you're using. And so for a smaller shop, you may be doing a different tactic than a larger shop. So to get from your starting point to your ending point, you need to be realistic about the different tactics that you're going to use to map yourself along that journey. So with that analogy in mind, the first thing you want to do in this whole process for your small shop to come up with a plan that's realistic for you is to figure out where you are now. And your analysis of where you are now does not have to be complicated. This does not have to be a three-month analysis or hiring an outside counsel to be do a study for you. This can be pretty quick and dirty. Some of my baseline statistics that I want to collect are things that you can potentially do in about an hour, depending on how good your record-keeping process is. So let's start with the financial things that you want to know. The first thing you want to know is how much did you raise in a similar period last year? And given the pandemic and all of the strange things that happened in the last 18 months, you may want to go back two years, you know, go back to the most recent quote unquote normal year and compare those statistics with last year's statistics to come up with something that's reasonable for now. So the financial numbers that you may track will be the currency raised. How much did you raise during that last period? Maybe it's the number of donors that you engaged. If you're a membership-based organization, maybe it's how many members you've had. So those are the types of things that you don't need all those too many statistics, but you should decide on a couple that you want to measure consistently period after period after period. Another thing that you probably want to measure in terms of those statistics is your retention rate. Because if you need to know whether you should be focusing your time on retaining your donors or acquiring new donors or how you're going to balance that strategy, it's good to know what is your acquisition rate of donors and what is your retention rate of donors, because that can help you prioritize later on. The other thing that you might want to do if you have time and if you have the wherewithal and if you have the interest is to do a time audit on yourself. So again, this is where are you now? Where are you actually spending your time now? Now, I'm a total nerd. I'm a productivity nerd, I will admit. And I actually have a device. This this is called the Timular. And I flip this die every time I do a new category of activity. So it's really easy for me to do a time audit. But you don't have to be that complicated. You could be one of those people that takes a look at your calendar at the end of the day and even says, okay, how did I actually spend my time today? Or you may be one of those people who wants to track down maybe on a piece of paper or on a spreadsheet or something, how did you spend your time in 15, 30, or hour-long increments? It doesn't have to be really, really granular, but you do want to get a sense for where is my time going now? It also doesn't have to be an audit that goes on forever. You could map out maybe a week 
In fact, I would say a week is probably the minimum amount of time that you want to track just to get patterns in place. But get a sense for where are you spending your time? What you may discover is that there's a lot of time that you're spending on things that are not fundraising related. There may be other things where you're prioritizing a lot of time on certain types of fundraising strategies, which may be good or bad. You may discover that, honestly, you're spending a lot of time on social media, managing your community. And again, that could be good or bad. But it's helpful to know where are you investing your time so that you can decide consciously how you want to reprioritize your time. So that's the where are we now in this planning process. The next step that you want to do is where do you want to go? And again, picking those financial statistics that you want to measure, that makes it easy in many respects to pick some of your financial targets for the period moving forward. So that might be one of those things that you want to measure. It also may be one of those things where you look at your time audit and say, here's how I want to redistribute my time. And it could also be that there are things that are on your where do you want to go that are imposed by other people. It's maybe a financial goal that's imposed by someone else. It may be an event that's imposed by somebody else. It may be some other deadline that's imposed by someone else. And that's okay, but it's good to know that those are there so that you know what the destination looks like. So now in this plan, we can start thinking about starting point, ending point, what's the gap? How are we going to get from the starting point to the ending point? And what you want to think about here is, again, what kind of tactics specifically fundraising tactics in, in right now, but there could be other tactics that you're thinking about that are going to get you from the beginning to the end. And what I want you to think about is past behavior and past successes are a better indicator of future success than coming up with new strategies. So if you are limited on time, if you are limited on people, if you're limited on resources, focus on those things that have worked before. And I know that may not seem very innovative, but just go ahead and go with it because you can add on the innovation after you've got the baseline strategies in place. So I say, go back to those things that have worked before and don't kill yourself over modifying things. I think sometimes we get bored with the strategies before everyone else does. So even though you're saying, I've sent out that same letter at year end with minor modifications for the last three years and I, I really need to come up with something fresh, if it's bringing in money, you don't necessarily have to come up with something fresh. <laughs> so be easy on yourself, give yourself a little grace, and it's okay to repeat things if they work. So that's the planning portion of things. And I'll go into a little bit more tactical specificity on this right now, in that what I want you to think about are shorter periods of planning time. Often we're thinking about a year-long plan and you get so overwhelmed because that seems like 12 months of all this stuff that I got to do and I don't have enough time to do any of it. Break it down into shorter chunks. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite books is The 12-Week Year by Brian Moran. And I use this not only to plan for organizations, but I also use it for my own personal planning. And the 12-week year is a strategy to break down your overall year into shorter periods so that the goals seem more attainable. Uh, the way that he talks about it is that it's periodization. Because when you think about a year, often we do, for instance, New Year's, New Year's resolutions. And you're going to have a spike of activity at the beginning of the year for New Year's resolutions, and then probably a spike at the end when you realize you haven't done anything on your New Year's resolutions. And what happens in the middle is a whole lot of inactivity. And scientifically, it is actually shown that humans are 
part of that. That's what we do is that we periodize. we'd have periodization on a lot of our things. And there's typically a burst of energy at the beginning and a burst of energy when you come up against the deadline. So guess what? If you can shorten that period, you can fit in more bursts of energy into a 12 month period. So think about your plan in quarterly chunks, 12 weeks. So when you're thinking about that and planning forward, what can I realistically get done in a 12-week period? And it may be, again, deadlines that are imposed on you. There may be events that are just going to happen during that quarter. But set a plan to basically achieve maybe three-ish big goals in a 12-week period. And then move and prioritize your tactics based on getting those three goals done. And then guess what? You can reset at the end of that 12-week period. So think about it in shorter periods when you have a smaller team so that you can focus your efforts on the things that you need to get done now, as opposed to trying to get everything done over a longer period. So that leads me to the next chunk of this, which is the how do you prioritize and routinize what you're doing? So thinking about the way that you work as a person, there may be some things that you do that you know are not contributing to your plan. And that's okay because we all need breaks. But I want you to think about your activities throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout that quarterly plan of is this activity that I'm about to do supporting my plan and moving me towards achieving that goal? That's a question that I ask myself on a regular basis is that does this activity move us towards success, move us towards achieving our goals? And again, it's okay if not everything fits into the plan, but just watch for patterns. It's kind of like in the weight loss world where they say, you know, hey, don't stress out about a pound or two gain or loss over the course of day to day. But what you should be watching for are those longer term patterns. So if you have a trend of putting on a pound or two regularly, it's going to add up over time. Same thing with the plan. If you have more and more things creeping into your plan that are not contributing towards your goals, consider figuring out how to get rid of those things. So how can I either reassign it or how can I move it onto a, a someday maybe list? The other thing to look at in terms of prioritizing your activities is a three-tier system that my business partner, Jim Anderson, likes to talk about, which is, is this a must-do, is this a should-do, or is this a nice-to-do? Must-dos are those things where you have to get that done to keep the mission of your organization moving. Should-dos are the, yeah, we should get that done because it will move us forward, it will help us advance, but if push comes to shove and that doesn't happen, it's okay. And then the nice-to-dos are the things that are the innovation, are the extra things, are the additions to the, the um, quality of life, so to speak. And if those are the types of things that you have on your list a lot, go back and look at what really are the must-dos and are they getting done. So must-dos have to get done, should-dos are the next tier of work, and then the nice-to-dos are the next after that. The way that I work then the plan to prioritize things is that looking at it on a weekly basis, usually once a week, it's the what are my time-sensitive deadlines this week? What are the things that are the urgencies? What are those must-dos that I have to get done? And then those are the things that I make sure are on my weekly plan that's um, been pulled out of the longer-term quarterly plan. 
then that gives me an opportunity to see what are the obstacles I'm going to have this week to getting those things done. Maybe it's your schedule's too packed. Maybe there's other things that are nice to do's that are filling up a lot of space. And so on a weekly basis, I look, how can I reprioritize all of this stuff to get those main must-dos done? Then on a daily basis, I'm looking at no more than one to three most important tasks daily. So what are the most important things for me to get done today? In fact, one of my most important tasks today was recording this session. <laughs> so there you go. I get to cross at least one thing off on my list today. So give yourself, again, a little grace that you can't get a 12 or 20 or 100 thing list done, but you could get one to three things done today. So if you take nothing else away, I would say limit yourself as a small and mighty team to one to three things that you absolutely have to get done today, and you'll at least feel a little bit better about your to-do list. So then the other thing that you might want to think about are what are those things that you have to do on an ongoing basis that you want to routinize? So for instance, acknowledgements and stewardship. Can you do one a day? That doesn't seem too hard. On a weekly basis, can you cultivate one donor? Can you ask for one thing? Um, on a monthly basis, can you research things? So these are things that have to go on but you don't have to keep them in your schedule every single day. You can make sure that you have a set time or a set pattern for when you do these things, the more routinizable things, so that you can keep those things going without them clogging up too much of your day-to-day -day schedule. And then finally, I want to touch on the, how do you know if this is a low-hanging fruit tactic? Well, so back to something that I mentioned earlier. It's the idea of if something's working, you may not want to change it or fix it. I think the low hanging fruit for most small shops are those strategies that you might be bored with, but your donors are still responding. Your donors are still giving you money. Can you refresh it? Yes. Do you have to throw it out and put in an entirely new strategy? No. So your low hanging fruit is look at what's already working. And that may seem kind of obvious, but look at what's working for you and that's your low hanging fruit. What I would say is reserve about maybe 10% of your time or 10% of your strategy to try for those harder things, to try for those new innovations. But if you have to keep the machine going as a small shop, prioritize your time on those things that are working and prioritize your time on those things that'll move the ball forward towards your goals. So that's my quick overview of some of the tips that I have for you as a small and mighty shop to be more effective. And I think the number one thing that I have shared today is that give yourself some grace because there are definitely those things that you cannot and should not be doing as a smaller shop that maybe you see is listed as best practice and you'd like to do someday, but take care of yourself and take care of the core of your strategy before you go out into those other areas. And the nice thing about having the shorter plans is that it has strategic imbalance. Essentially, you can focus on a certain number of things for this 12 weeks, and then once you've gotten some of those things down, you can shift over into other priorities in the next 12 weeks. So you don't have to do it all, but if you have it in your vision, if you have it in your map moving forward, you might be able to get to it later. So again, give yourself some grace and congratulate yourself because you've got all sorts of wonderful things that you're doing for the world, and you're doing it with a small and mighty team. Thanks. <laughs>